Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Today, I am talking to Emily Edlund, PhD. She has worked as a clinical psychologist with children, adolescents, and families for over 15 years. Her first book, Autonomy Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout, and Raise Competent, Confident Children is out as of September 5th. Emily lives in Oak Park, Illinois with her partner and three children. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. You open the book, as you say, from the battle zone of your tween's bedroom. I really enjoyed that phrase. It resonated, to say the least. And you talk about trying to free yourself from being what you call a controlling parents. So take us to that moment and what the phrase controlling parent means. Yes. And this is a perfect place to start because I would argue that we are all parenting right now in a culture and environment that is really promoting controlling parenting. And it really is not that great for our kids or for us for that matter. So to explain what controlling means. It's another way of thinking about the more formal, intensive parenting that we all talk about these days. So it's the idea of wanting to control our kids' environment and also control how much they're stressed out, how much hardship they have to deal with. So we've gotten into this very automatic kind of fix and rescue mode for our kids. And a lot of it is very Mm fear-based and from our own anxieties about our kids' welfare and growing up in this world today. So the battle zone of my tween's bedroom was all about her cell phone use. And I'm sure many parents of tweens can relate to this just constant battle over our own fears of what is too much time on the phone and our tween's battle for their own agency and freedom to use their phone how they want to. And controlling is one of those words that I feel like we've talked a lot on the podcast. Like it kind of feels a little bit like a negative that kind of gets hung on moms who are kind of trying to do a good job, you know, and it becomes a little bit of like, 
listen, mom, like stop being such a helicopter and stop being so controlling because you're very annoying. But it's like at the same time, we're being told cell phones are killing our kids' brains and, you know, we have to be super careful post-pandemic. And we're getting very conflicting messages. And one thing I like about this book and something we try to do on the podcast is taking it out of the realm of like, Stupid moms always trying to be so controlling because this is a reality that we're dealing with. It's not just because we're so dumb, bad, and lame, right? No. And that's why throughout my book, I share very openly and transparently my struggles with what I say are controlling impulses. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And even as a well trained child psychologist, who is writing a parenting book about being opposite of controlling, I still have my controlling impulses. So it's very judgment-free and I think supportive of parents of how very hard it is right now as a parent to counter those controlling impulses. And that really, it's kind of evolution that we are controlling right now because it we are facing these threats. The pandemic did not help things where we were really fearing for our children's very fundamental health and safety. And so, and we're constantly getting headlines, right? About the worst teen mental health crisis and what is social media doing to their brains? And it's just this barrage of threat that we're faced with with the media as well. So I think it's like we are operating as our brains are wired to operate to try and protect our children. And you capture in the book that controlling is kind of like the tip of the iceberg, but what's underneath is this anxiety. And in doing this podcast for seven years now, I feel like my one of the big revelations that I've had is that parental anxiety, and I will say, I think specifically maternal anxiety, is maybe the number one factor that is getting in the way of parental good outcomes and happiness generally. I mean, it's a broad statement. There's lots of other things in there. And is anxiety, as Amy would say, just like baked in the cake of this experience? I guess it is because you have a vulnerable thing that leaves your body and walks around the world. Like, what is anxiety as huge as I think? Is that your experience? And how do we start to address anxiety? It feels so overwhelming. I completely agree that anxiety is underlying what's going on with parents and families right now, and especially mothers. So and I hear it in my therapy practice all the time. I see it in my community. I feel it myself. So there's just this constant kind of drumbeat of fear and threat. And so what I suggest is, first of all, being really aware and non-judgmental about it and being able to check in with ourselves when we're having a reaction to our kid asking to go hang out with friends, you know, out in the downtown. I have a little downtown area in our village, you know, and I get that little jump of anxiety about it. Checking in with myself about what am I actually afraid of happening and how likely is that really to happen? And what could be the good parts about this experience for my child? So starting to flip the script 
of not just thinking about all the terrible things that could happen, because that could go on forever, but really thinking about how could this actually benefit my child and what's good about it? What are the best case scenarios? Right. You talk about it's the idea of kind of not just like fighting the anxiety as like, "Ah, ah, I'm nervous and I shouldn't be, but really incorporating the anxiety, but getting rid of what you call anxiety driven controlling impulses. So walk us through, we've talked about controlling, we've talked about anxiety, let's bring it together. What does an anxiety driven controlling impulse look like? So it might be constantly checking the online grade system to see. Oh, the portal. Oh, the portal people. We've talked about it. Get off the portal, friends. You know, being so micromanaging around every assignment and every metric of performance. Is my child doing okay? Are they being set up for success when they're 11? You know, and it's, I think those habits have become so normalized and it almost feels like I'm not being a good parent if I'm not doing that. Well, and I think also that anxiety is a very strong biological imperative. Like it is your job to keep kids safe. Kids are super vulnerable and they are, it's like the only way to truly keep them safe is to truly keep them inside your house all the time and keep them off of the, you know, a perfectly safe child would live in your bedroom with you 24 hours a day and you would just stare at them, right? And, And it is our job to create safety. So again, pushing back on this idea of like, well, this is crazy moms, like that is kind of our job, but then it's taking them out of the room and into the world. And that part is extremely anxiety producing. And so it is hard to let go of that control, I guess. Right. It's a letting go. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I talk about how all of us are going to be on a continuum every day. Yes. Of how controlling we feel because what affects controllingness and anxiety is stress. So the more stressed we are, the more likely we're going to have those responses and be in that state of mind. And so that's where I get into how important it is that we are managing our own stress and prioritizing our needs, which is, I don't even want to say the word self-care. No, no, we've banned the word self-care. Yeah, it's empty at this point, but like truly fundamentally prioritizing our needs so that we are responding more thoughtfully to our children rather than from a stress response. That's right. And let's sort of double click on that because you talk about the fact that this book really centers on the parents' experience and needs. Not a lot of parenting books are about like how to meet your children's needs. And this book really focuses on parental needs. So what made you start from that place? Well, my whole motivation for writing a parenting book was to do it differently than how many I Mm-hmm. And I feel like parenting is such a fluid, dynamic experience that is not just about what we're doing for our child, but how we are functioning in the midst of it all. But that really needed attention that's not out there in most of the parenting guidance. And so it was a gap that I saw. And I I mean, I hope I accomplished it in, in the book. <laughs> I think so. I'm talking to Emily Edlin, PhD, who is the author of Autonomy Supported Parenting, and we will be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? 
Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. One of the things I like about this book is it's the format is very easy to follow and you have a lot of like actual kind of charts that dialogue like this versus that controlling versus autonomous. So it sort of helps us figure out like practical versions of what you're talking about. And one of the early ones is need satisfaction versus need frustration. And so talk about that binary. 
Yes. So autonomy and supportive parenting as a whole approach comes from this theory called self-determination theory, which is really well known in psychology. But it's the idea that all humans have three fundamental needs, which is autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So relatedness is like the connection, sense of belonging and community. So when those needs are met, those three fundamental needs, we experience what's called need satisfaction, which is related to just greater life satisfaction, greater physical and psychological health, all kinds of good, good stuff. And the opposite need frustration is when people do not feel autonomous, competent and related. There's all kinds of negative outcomes associated with that low self-esteem, more risk for mental health problems, and lower life satisfaction. So autonomy supported parenting grew out of that larger idea. So Mm. when we are practicing autonomy supported parenting with our kids, we are helping meet those fundamental needs. And the research also shows how important it is, again, that our needs of autonomy, competence, and relatedness are also being met for us to provide that for our kids. Autonomy is, just so people kind of really get the picture, autonomy is a sense of independence, self-control. Is that correct? Like being able to do things for yourself. Right. I mean, it took me a long time to boil it down. So it is a sense of agency. Yes. Over your life and a strong sense of self. And then competence is a word we mostly know. It's being able to do tasks, right? Like my son during the pandemic decided he was going to teach himself to do a backflip and he got a mattress and he worked on it all day and for, I don't know, two months and they could finally do it, right? That's like a competence. Like I can figure out this thing and do it for myself. And then relatedness is a sense of connection to other people. Right these are the and so when we over dial control we kind of rob ourselves and our kids of being able to find because these three things are things you have to find for yourself correct right and so a really basic example is how much we as parents these days just kind of do stuff for our kids that they are capable of doing themselves And not only does that stress us out more because we have so much on our to-do list already and we're also mentally juggling so much, but they're not experiencing that confidence in their growing development and maturity and what they are capable of doing. So it's even as simple as household chores, you know, and helping around the house. It's interesting because I feel like one of the questions that we get the most is how do I help my kids build self-esteem? And I think that we've said before that there's kind of this idea that like self-esteem is out there in a box somewhere that you have to find the map to the box and then boom, self-esteem is there. And this seems to me to be very much foundational to what self-esteem is. Self-esteem is built on feeling you can do things for yourself, that you're competent and that you have people who you are connected to. Right. So the relatedness piece is really important because that is like the soil that nourishes the competence and autonomy. So there needs to be that sense of connection and safety within our relationship for then that competence and autonomy to bloom from. Yeah, that makes sense. I like this quote from the book that is from Edward, is it DC? D-E-C-I. 
Yes, we'll go with DECI and pronunciation. When people are autonomous, they will allow a full experience of their emotions and they will feel free in deciding how to express them. Walk us through that quote a little bit, why you chose it. I think I get it and I think it speaks to me. (laughs) So it's such a critical part of resilience, which is another buzzword these days, but this... Oh, gosh, I know we had, well, I would say about five years ago, I was like, I can't do any more resilience, people I've, I've got it. I think we need to be resilient. Grit, grit, I get it. Well, and resilience isn't like a 10 step, you know, there you are. It's a constant. Yes, it's a constant. But in terms of emotional resilience and autonomy, the idea is, you know, creating an environment in our families where expressing a whole range of emotions is acceptable and Mm. permitted. And so we run the risk in our controlling impulses and anxiety of shutting down more uncomfortable emotions that our kids are expressing because we'll say, oh, it's not that big of a deal or you're fine or we jump in to fix it, but we're not really allowing them that time to feel the discomfort and express it and just kind of hold them with it. So that allows them to learn about their emotions. And so connecting to his quote, that is really such a big part of understanding who you are as a person is how you operate emotionally. Yes. And I think it also goes along with experiences, like allowing kids to have experiences. I just sent a bunch of young high schoolers and with some younger middle schoolers off on the train and to the city and said, you know, and I found myself like, okay, I'm going to run through the 86 different things that might happen so that you know what to do. And it really resonated with me looking at the book, like, oh, this is exactly the thing that I feel stressed and anxious about this kind of, you know, freedom, moderately dangerous experience that they are going into. It's probably going to be fine, but they're likely to encounter maybe one or two situations that they're not 100% sure what to do. So then I feel the stress. And as you say, then that leads me to want to kind of over parent. It's like I saw the whole cycle of what you're talking about playing out in this moment. (laughs) And it is that natural thing of like, I can control the experience by either going with you, which I'm not doing, but then even the need to be like, I'm tracking you on the phone and I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to somehow prepare you. I have a lot of friends right now leaving kids at college this time of year. And it's the same thing. Like, oh, but did I tell you that? It's like you got to kind of trust that they're ready, I guess, at some point. Right. So in this situation, it's also showing that you trust your kids to figure it out in the moment. Right. I mean, I don't, but I'm pretending to. We have to fake it. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm completely faking it. Like, I have extreme anxiety about their ability to do it. But I do think for me as an anxious parent, it sometimes helps to let them out of my sight because that tricks, I have to trick myself. Like, when they go tubing or whatever, or they go out on the lake, I have found that I'm just a million times better staying at home and reading my book. Because otherwise, I'm like, do you see that? It just, it's making everybody miserable. So sometimes if I can take myself out of it, I can't quite get to the point of like, I'm actually not going to be anxious, but I can absent myself from it. And that's 
fine. Right. It's figuring out our own accommodations for ourselves. <laughs> yes, exactly. And recognizing the cycle and then figuring out how to step back from it. I think that's exactly right. In part three, we always like to turn to solutions. And so we will be back with some really practical tools for how to implement this autonomy supported parenting in your own life. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly because sometimes life sucks. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Okay, so we're going to solve this for people by the end of this episode. Here we go. You talk about a lot of different tools for how to do this. And another thing you talk about, which I think is really interesting, and we use the term spaces and places a lot on the podcast. This is something that happens at home. It's something that happens at school. It happens away from the house. It happens in the house. So can you take us through some of the tools that you talk about in the book and how they kind of play out in different arenas? What I love about this approach is that it's a framework and it's not a prescription. It's not a Mm. always do this or always or never do this. It is very flexible depending on the situation, the age of the child. And so what I do in the book, like you said, is I have all these vignettes and I really just show how the controlling responses would look in real time and how the autonomy supportive tools can be applied. But it's really up to parents to kind of figure out what fits the moment. But I'll start with what really helps with the relatedness piece that we were talking about is the whole taking our child's perspective and using empathy. So this is often the first step in 
addressing a challenge or a problem is really trying to think about what was my child thinking, but not in a really negative way. <laughs> not what were you thinking? But huh, I'm curious. So a big piece of the autonomy supportive mindset is curiosity. Like how did they come to that decision to post that, you know, or whatever the dilemma is? And then asking them about it, you know, really just trying to understand what happened for them. And then practicing that empathy piece of, well, I understand you felt like you wanted to impress your friends or you were feeling left out or whatever was going on. And then a really important part moving on from that is really involving kids in decision-making, problem-solving, asking them, what do you think we should do about this? What are your thoughts on what to do next? So instead of just being very directive, getting their input, it doesn't mean they have the final say. But it's involving them and showing that you respect their thoughts and opinions and their voice. Expecting independence and expressing trust in their abilities are really key pieces of the competence. And I like how you bring this out in ages and stages too. So we're talking about it at some point, like, well, how do you get your, you know, 15 year old to want to blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it starts when they're four and you let them go to the snack bar, right? Like it doesn't, I think one of the things that people start to confront as their kids are leaving for college is like, oh my God, they've never done laundry. Oh my God, they've never paid for anything. And it's like, that's, I like that you start this book at very young ages, because I think it is crucial that these practices start early. Listen, you can catch up if you miss the bus, people. It's not the end of the world. But I do think, talk about a little bit how you work through the ages and stages with this independence. So with early childhood, which is, you know, toddlers, preschoolers, first of all, I was a very controlling parent with that age group. It was not Mm -hmm. (laughs) a good fit for my personality. And my kids are really okay. This is a very important point because I said something earlier. I don't ever want people to feel like you missed the bus. You blew it. Forget it. Your kid's broken. It can't go back. Right. Not at all. And I think it's a good point to say that sometimes this work is easier and harder at, at different phases for different parents. Yeah, that, well, there are so many seasons and children are all different themselves. I mean, one kid's going to be easier or harder than another. I mean, there's it's so fluid, right? With younger kids, you know, really looking at, and this is something I did not do well, but really looking at what they can do to be helpful. I mean, their feelings of competence are really important. And so they feel so important and valued when they feel helpful to the family. And they are at like, they want to help so badly. And you know, as they get older, they lose that like intrinsic passion for helping, right? They'd rather sit and play video games. But in the early years, it's a great window for that. You know, remembering to offer choices. And I mean, like, not my kids did not do like red shirt or blue shirt. And they would say none, right? Right. But figuring out ways that there are real choices and having them be able to think about what do I want and really providing rationale for rules. That's another important piece of this whole framework is explaining why we do things, why we have limits. Of course, our kids need limits and structure to feel safe and develop and they will push on that structure. That's part of their job. But with those younger kids and all ages. I mean, all of this is good for all ages, but starting that rationale, like we clean up our toys so we don't step on them and break them, you know, and we'll do it together. And I think it is, I want to underline the idea of boundaries and structure 
because we, you know, sometimes I think parenting advice can feel to people like, oh, oh, this is all like a new age. The kids run the show. That's not at all what you're talking about, which is like, let kids do whatever they want because that's how they come to independence. This happens within a framework of rules and boundaries. Absolutely. And I believe in consequences. I know those are popular in some circles right now. I firmly believe in consequences. I believe in your kids helping come up with their own consequences when they break rules, because that is part of learning how to live in this world. Let's talk a a little bit about the different kind of arenas where this happens. So we do lose control as our kids get older and social pressures start to come in. God knows, TikTok uh, videos, you know, start to come in. And just, I mean, I was saying I have a very anti-TikTok stance, but it's in the groundwater. Like my kids, it just comes in through all. Now it's okay, it's Instagram shorts or YouTube shorts. Like you can't actually keep this stuff completely away from your children, as it turns out. How do we maintain a sense of confidence about this kind of autonomy, supportive parenting when we feel like a million other influences that we can't control are starting to take over? I know. Trust me, I'm right there with you with (laughs) a 13-year-old and 11-year-old. So this is where the relationship piece is really important. And for them feeling like they can come to you with mistakes and you're not going to shame them, that you are there to help them learn and grow and you're expecting things to happen. So I think that's the other thing is really remembering, just saying they're going to make mistakes. Like my job is not to prevent mistakes because that is a losing battle. And that does make us more controlling. And being able to work with them to practice thinking about their mistakes, what to learn from them, and seeing all of this as a growth experience. For example, how to be a good digital citizen. So it's not just social media is bad, right? And we want you on it as little as possible. But because it's in the water, how can you learn to engage in it in the most positive ways? And with my own kids, I flipped because I would get really wrapped up in this whole too much on the phone time. And I flipped the script to really think about how are my kids living a balanced life? Like what else is going on for them? And you know, they are. They're very social. They see their friends in person. They help around the house. They're in fairly good moods. (laughs) Like they really seem like they're okay. So I think allowing ourselves to see what's going well and not just being so laser focused on our worries. Before we wrap up, I want to turn to parents who have kids who are neurodiverse, because I think you make this point in the book, and I think it's very well stated. Often, this circle that we're talking about of, you know, anxiety, control, anxiety, control, when we have kids, speaking for myself, who are on the spectrum, that the anxiety about the behavior gets ratcheted up and therefore the feelings of control. And it can also feel like, listen, we need to exert more control over kids who struggle with certain behaviors because it's more important that they control those behaviors. And you talk about that in the book. And how how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I thought it was really important for me to include a chapter on autism and ADHD specifically, because I know from my work how challenging that parenting experience is, and that most mainstream parenting guidance 
it feels like it just doesn't touch it. Right. It's like, skip this book. Skip this book. Skip this book. So what I would say with kids, I refer to it as kind of, you know, those executive functioning weaknesses that their construction in their brain takes longer than others to have certain skills and abilities. So they really need more of our structure and more of those very clear expectations and limits. But at the same time, really looking at where can I expect them to grow independence? Where can I show these kids that often are getting negative messages about their capabilities? You know, what I do trust them to do for themselves. And that's where I think a lot of parents do need to work on their anxiety about kids that have a tougher path for whatever reason. We're going to feel more protective. Yep. Here's the bad news, folks. It starts with us. It's the good news and the bad news because we can work on ourselves. But yes, no magic box, but we're working on our own anxieties so that we get calmer and just a sort of better vibe overall, I would say. Tell us where we can find more of your work. And I mean, we always say where we can find the book. It's 2023. People know how to buy a book, but tell us anyway. So you can find the book hopefully at your bookstore and then Amazon and Bookshop. And you can find my writing at emilyedlinphd.com. I also have a Substack where I do weekly autonomy supportive diaries and really apply these concepts to real life. And I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn at Dr. Emily Edlin and on Facebook as the Art and Science of Mom. And I do want to underscore, we've been having a kind of 30,000 foot view, but the book has so much practical stuff in it in terms of like, okay, you want to do this, do this instead. And so it's very, very approachable. And I recommend you check it out. The book is called Autonomy, Supportive Parenting, Reduce Parental Burnout and Raise Competent, Confident Children. Emily, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.